Hello world! Welcome to our first episode of Bite Size Blockchain, a podcast for people with a bite-sized curiosity about the impact of blockchain technology on the world. I'm Blakey Larson. And I'm Rafi Chimes. We're two MBA students at UC Berkeley Haas School of Business. Blakey and I have had so many interesting conversations about blockchain that we decided to make a podcast. I hear from so many people that they're curious about blockchain, but they don't understand it. If that's you, then you are our target audience. This podcast is for you. We're going to focus on the human side of blockchain, not the technical side. You don't need to know all the details about how it works to appreciate the businesses and initiatives that this technology can enable. Exactly. That being said, our first episode of the podcast is a deep dive on the definition of blockchain and Bitcoin. If you're interested, listen on. Or if you'd rather skip the definition and jump straight into the impact, start with episode two, our conversation about how money moves around the world. So without further ado, here's our first ever episode. Enjoy. Rafi, why are we here? So we're here to talk about this thing called blockchain. Dun dun! (laughs) (laughs) And frankly, Blakey, I just don't have any idea what blockchain really is. But... You know, I've heard so much about it, and I'm hoping that you can help explain to me and our audience all about it. I would love to. I first heard about blockchain a few years ago, and I have gotten so interested and learned so much, and I am super excited to share that with you and anyone every, anyone, and everyone who's listening. So... To get started, Rafi, what do you know about blockchain right now? Where are we starting from? So, I have to say, I don't know very much. What I do know is that it's some type of technology, yep. and it's associated with the rise of cryptocurrencies, which is obviously a major thing going on right now. Don't know too much about that either, other than it's in the news all the time, and people are making and losing a lot of money. That's pretty much where we're starting. Okay. Fabulous. So you're you're right on everything so far. It is technology. And, Set a high bar here. <laughs> and it's related to Bitcoin. Blockchain technology is like the technology that is underlying Bitcoin. So Bitcoin, all these cryptocurrencies, maybe you've heard of Ethereum is another one. Those are um, just different examples of, those are different instances, different different blockchains but the blockchain is the technology underneath it. So here's an analogy that might help. Blockchain is a technology the same way the internet is a technology, and that Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency just like, say, Amazon is a website on the internet. So the underlying technology, internet and blockchain, Bitcoin's an example and Amazon's an example, but the, so that's the kind of relationship. Does that make sense? That does. And my, my, you know, hypothesis on all of this, just from the, from the little that I do know is that we're in the fairly early stages of this technology and kind of like the internet back in, you know, the nineties, the future is hard to predict. I completely agree. So I don't think anyone in 1995 predicted Amazon would be as big as it is today, right? So we're so early in this, but there are so many interesting things and ways that that this could go that we'll tell you all about. So one thing I just want to 
you know, get off my chest right from the start is that my association with Bitcoin and some of these cryptocurrencies is uh, illicit activity, you know, buying drugs online, the dark web. Why, why am I making this association? So you're not wrong. <laughs> I, that's not how I got into it. <laughs> But I, I heard a quote once that um, criminals are the original, like, early adopters. You should look at where what criminals are doing, especially around anything around money and payments, because they will 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 point you to the new the new trends and the new technology. So just like in the 90s, the internet, I think, was used for porn a lot. <laughs> yeah. It might uh, still be. <laughs> So uh, I think just like that, some of these initial uses are illicit and even dangerous, but that is not the part that we are going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about the awesome impact that it can have on people all over the world. Great. Well, I'm excited to dive in. Okay. So we talked about how blockchain is a technology like the internet is a technology, and cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin are just one use of that technology, the way Amazon is one website or one company on the internet. The cool thing is you don't really have to understand the back-end technical part of how the internet works in order to use it and understand the impact it has. Rafi, do you know how the internet works? I'm afraid to say I do not. <laughs> well, you don't need to. So what I am most excited to share with you is some of the real-world implications and the impact that this blockchain can have on people all over the world. But we do not need to go into the technical details. That sounds good to me. So, Blakey, I still don't really know what blockchain is. Well, one of the descriptions you'll hear about blockchain is it's a decentralized, immutable ledger. Okay, a decentralized, immutable ledger. Right, so three words. <laughs> How many of those words are you familiar with? Let's say around two. Okay. <laughs> so let's take them in reverse order. Okay. So first, a ledger. It's just a place to record information. You can imagine an old school bank when you would go in and talk to the banker and there's some notebook where it has a tally of what you've put in and what you've taken out. That's a ledger. That's it. <laughs> it's just a database of this transaction information. Okay, great. So, so if we take the example of Bitcoin, um, the Bitcoin blockchain is a ledger that records the data for all the different transactions between individuals operating in that currency. Exactly. So if I send you five Bitcoin, which, by the way, I'm not going to send you <laughs> because that would be, I think, about $50,000 right mm. now, the Bitcoin blockchain is the ledger that records all of those transactions. The data could be financial transactions, or a blockchain could record any type of information. What other kind of information could it record? One really cool example is around diamonds. Mm, diamonds? Diamonds! <laughs> I just learned about this. They have a digital fingerprint. So if you scan them, their crystal structure, they have a unique fingerprint. So if you can record that it's kind of like a unique identifier if you record that information in this blockchain you can track it and then as you buy and sell diamonds can exchange it and record that ownership there's a company called everledger out of the uk that's trying to to do this they're tracking the supply chain and the ownership chain and the provenance of these diamonds trying to make sure that they're coming from truly conflict-free diamonds <laughs> 
So now's the time to mention one big problem with any blockchain or any ledger. If you don't trust the information that's going into the ledger, you're not going to trust the information that's changed throughout that time. They call this garbage in, garbage out. Got it. So let's move on to the second word, immutable. I just learned this word a few years ago. It describes something that is unchangeable over time. So something like my graduation year would be immutable because it happened in the past. We can't change it. It's not going to happen again. Exactly. The opposite of immutable is... Mutable? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Another word I have never used. Neither have I. Uh, so you could say some politicians' views are mutable. <clears throat> they might vary or change or be inconsistent. Mm, that sounds like material for a different kind of podcast, <laughs> but helpful nonetheless. So I, I think I understand what the definition is of immutable, but how does it relate to blockchain? Right. We said the blockchain definition had three words, decentralized immutable ledger, but there's two other words in there, which is block and chain. You can imagine young Rafi, Christmas Day, opening up some Legos. Legos. And you don't want to build the castle or whatever the special Lego. You want to build a tower. Just a tower. Sim super simple. Oh, Just one, <laughs> one on top of the other. Just like this tower of Legos, these blockchains or these ledgers are made up of blocks all in a row. And these blocks are actually information. So whether it's information on these financial transactions or diamonds, each Lego is like a block of information and their new blocks are being added as time goes on. So the immutable part is that you can never change the past. You can never change a block that already happened. After you put a new Lego on top of the chain, on top of the tower, you can never change one of the ones before. So what happens if an error is entered into the ledger? Yeah, well, don't mess up. <laughs> <laughs> so there's no undo. There's no going back. There's no editing the history. That's a huge benefit because that's part of why you can trust the system. But it does mean you have to make sure um, that you're putting the right thing on top of it. So if you accidentally gave me five Bitcoin, then you can never go back and undo that. You better hope if it was a real mistake that I will give it back to you. Got it. Okay. So so just to reiterate, if you make a mistake when you enter in any sort of information, the only thing you can do is go back and add info on top of that that calls out the mistake that happened, but the original entry stays the same in its original form. Exactly. So another thing related to this with Bitcoin specifically is that anybody who owns Bitcoin has a unique Bitcoin address. This address is going to be like 26 character long code. So if you lose your unique address, there's no way to get it back. There's no password reset function. There's no username lookup. So you'll hear stories of people who have lost their Bitcoin address and lost Bitcoin. I, it's estimated, I think about three to four million Bitcoin are lost. I don't know how they did research on that, but that would be... 20% of all the Bitcoin that exists in the world today, we just don't know if anybody knows where it is. Yikes. 
So don't forget your Bitcoin address. Folks. Exactly. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> to summarize, we've talked about the ledger, how blockchain technology is a record of data, and it's immutable. You can never go back and edit or change anything. The fact that you can't edit really adds this level of trust because if you trusted the way the data was entered, then you can trust the record of the changes to the data as well. Right. So that's basically the opposite of garbage in, garbage out. Exactly. So let's move on to our last word, which is decentralized. To help us understand this concept, let's say a good old-fashioned example of writing a check. Rafi, how who who are the players involved in this? If you when you pay uh, use a check to pay your rent to your landlord. Well, let me think back to the last time I actually wrote a check. But from my from the way I remember it, the way it works is if I'm writing a check to my landlord, I get out this piece of paper that has my account information on it. Um, I sign over a certain amount of money and send it over to my landlord. The landlord receives the check. He then deposits it into his bank account. And from that point on, his bank, let's call it Wells Fargo, talks to my bank, Bank of America, make sure that I have the funds that I say I have. And once they agree that that's true, the money is cleared and gets transferred over to my landlord's bank account. Exactly. So even though you're just trying to exchange value or money between you and your landlord, there are two other parties, these banks, so these third parties involved, these other people that are approving the transaction, saying Rafi really does have this money in his account, and uh, you're, it's not fraudulent. So the decentralized piece of blockchain technology is that there is no need for this central clearinghouse, no need for these third party, the banks in this example, to approve that transaction when you're trying to do that with each other. That sounds well and good, I suppose, but then how do you actually prevent fraud or sort of illeg illegitimate transactions from happening on the blockchain? Right. This is the key piece. And if you don't understand what I am saying, Rafi and listeners, totally okay. I'm going to get a little bit technical here for a minute. So organizations that use the blockchain will set up incentive structures to incentivize the community to check the validity of all of these transactions. In Bitcoin, this process is called mining. Mining refers to a group of people that validate each transaction on the block, and then that block closes, and you can add another Lego on top of it. Whoever mines a block and validates it is rewarded with Bitcoin. So the incentive structure here is to validate all of the transactions, and you're actually earning Bitcoin in the process. Other blockchain networks use other processes, or another word is protocols, for validation. But the main summary here is that the system, the way that it is set up, incentivizes the community to validate each transaction, validate that data. Okay, I think that makes sense. Um, but when you say validation, when they go and actually validate the data, what are they actually doing? Great. So, for example, if I send you these five Bitcoin, the validation process will check that I actually have five Bitcoin in my Bitcoin address. If I don't have it, then that transaction will not be approved and it won't go through. If I do legitimately have it, it will be approved and then it will be in your Bitcoin address after that. 
the actual validation is done by looking back in the data in the blockchain, that whole history. So again, we're up at the top of this Lego tower. You can, at any point, anyone can look back and see the entire history of all the data in that chain. And that's the way that you can validate that somebody actually has, for example, Bitcoin in their address. Okay, great. So where is a blockchain? Like, I know Bitcoin is digital. You know, it's not real coins, but where are they? Great question. Part of the decentralized part of our definition is that there's no single place where all the data on a blockchain is stored. To contrast, a bank is going to have all of their data stored on some server somewhere, probably on multiple servers in case something happens to one of them. But to keep it simple, say that a bank has all of their data in one place, they're the central authority. This means there's a single point of failure. If that server is destroyed, all of their data is gone. Public blockchains, on the other hand, can be accessed by anyone, and all of the data can be stored by anyone. So there's no single point of failure. I'm not sure how many nodes exist. A node is a place, a computer memory, where the entire, for example, Bitcoin blockchain, all of the data, the entire Lego tower is stored. I'm not sure how many nodes exist. I think it's in the thousands. But if any one of those is destroyed, then no problem. There's thousands others. So there's no single point of, of failure. And that's one of the reasons that blockchains are so secure and trusted. Interesting. So where did the first blockchain come from? Okay, I love this story. So we know that the first blockchain was the Bitcoin blockchain. And we know it started in January 2009. That is a fact. But there is a huge mystery around the identity of the person who created the Bitcoin blockchain. Have you ever heard of Satoshi Nakamoto? Mm, the name rings a bell, but I'm not quite sure. <laughs> so in October 2008, height of the financial crisis, a white paper was published. A white paper, by the way, is like a technical document. Looks like my math homework from college. Super wide margins. Always have the same font. Times New Roman, I think. Anyway, this paper, this white paper is called Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system. So Satoshi Nakamoto published his paper, wrote the original source code, created Bitcoin.org, and then in 2010, Satoshi disappeared. You don't say. <laughs> <laughs> I do say. <laughs> Eventually, other people saw this technology underlying the Bitcoin could have other uses, and blockchain tech has completely exploded since then. Who slash where is Satoshi? Nobody knows. Well, okay, well, somebody somebody knows. I guess so <laughs> Satoshi knows. But is Satoshi's completely anonymous. Lots of speculation, hypothesis, maybe it's a Japanese man, but nobody knows. Well, on that note, let's wrap up what we've learned so far today. So based on everything you've explained to me, what's coming out for me is sort of three pillars, let's say, or themes, if I put my consulting hat on, um, around blockchain. And I think they correspond pretty nicely to the three keywords that we've described, so decentralized, immutable ledger. So for decentralized, to me, the main thing that comes out is that there's a sense of community or you know, a bottom-up, non-hierarchical structure where the users are really running the show. Uh, and all of the different processes. Then we look at the idea of 
it being immutable. So to me, this is the idea that transparent that there's a great amount of transparency where every user can see what's going on and you can't change it and it's there and open to everyone. Finally, the idea of a ledger is important because it can hold all sorts of data on whether, you know, whether it's transactions or descriptions. Um, so from that, my third theme would be flexibility of the system. So when you take the three combined, you have this flexible, transparent, community-based technology, which then allows us to start thinking about what kind of uses or implications this technology might have. Um, how might it impact businesses, consumers, investors, and just transactions more broadly? How might this technology lower costs for transactions that occur today? And what opportunities exist for things that don't exist today? What type of business models are already capitalizing on this technology? There are a million questions that we have, but I think we're off to a great start and I can't wait to dive deeper in future episodes. Awesome. <laughs> and that is why we're making this podcast. Well, I can't wait to take this journey with you, Blake. I think we're going to have so much fun and I'm going to learn a great deal. So thanks for being patient with me as I uh, learn and hopefully we learn together. You're welcome. This is so fun. I am by no means an expert, but I am an enthusiast. So I'm excited to learn with you through this process. And I, I hope we're helping other people as well. So get in touch on Twitter. I'm at Blakey Larson, B-L-A-K-E-Y-L-A-R-S-E-N. And be sure to check out our next episode about moving money around the world.